You are listening to the Health and Wellness Connection Podcast, the number one wellness podcast designed to provide the latest information to help you achieve your health and wellness goals. Our show features exciting guests, the latest in medical research, and in-depth discussions in current trends on weight loss, nutrition, and fitness. No matter what your interest, the Health and Wellness Podcast has you covered. And now, presenting your illustrious host, Dr. Barry, M.D. Hello, 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 guys, and welcome back to the Health and Wellness Connection. Um, we are going to bring you some of the latest and the most uh, insightful health and wellness uh, topics, research, and the like that um, occurred over the past week since the last episode. Again, I'm your host, Dr. Barry. I'm a health and wellness physician, as well as a board-certified emergency medicine physician uh, with over 10 years of experience, and I've been working to kind of help bring some awareness and knowledge to the health and wellness space. Now, um, you know, obviously when we do this, we do a lot of work as far as getting the research and putting the stuff together, getting it published, all that stuff. So it does take a, you know, a team that we, we work together to get this to happen. Um, but I do want to let you know, you know, we are fully independent and that we try to be as unbiased as possible in how we present the news. We focus on the data. So, you know, we try to avoid those labels of being bought and paid for and all this, uh, which goes into the next point is that you want to keep it independent. Um, you definitely want to try to support the show with uh, um, uh, donations. Now, we do our base in the U.S., so Cash App is what we like. Um, however, um, you know, we can uh, email if you have any other alternatives you're interested in using. Um, and the Cash App is dollar sign Dr. Barry Health. Um, so definitely ch- help support the show if you are enjoying the content. So uh, that being said, um, this week we have some pretty... Um, interesting topics here and I wanted to kind of kind of take them you know one at a time and just kind of see you know what's going on and why you know the uh, health and wellness landscape especially when it comes to um, COVID and you know some of the treatments out there um, you know why it's uh, you know um, you know um, kind of going through some changes here um, so first things first um, you know, we have to say that um, apparently the pandemic is over and that is um, per our president uh president biden um he actually stated this on a recent interview with 60 minutes so um so just in case you guys were confused um covid is over and that uh, we can go about our normal <laughs> daily activities now of course us who are still working i uh, understand this is kind of a silly statement as people are still getting sick and there are thousands tens of thousands being diagnosed daily with new covid infections um so much so that you know there's research being done regularly on covid treatment which we're going to discuss as well so it was kind of an interesting uh, interview, and in general, there was a lot of off-the-cuff remarks throughout the interview as well. I think he mentioned as well during the same interview that the U.S. would go to war with China if Taiwan was potentially, you know, uh, you know, done wrong. Um, he also threatened war with multiple countries. So it was a little bit of a what we would say off-the-cuff interview, <laughs> and that's kind of something we've seen a lot with Biden as of late. Um, that being said, uh, many people that first of all, the White House put out a lot of different. Um, um, statements after the interview, kind of, kind of toning down some of the statements that were made in that interview. So it's hard to say, you know, what exactly is going on with the administration as far as their policy. But we can see that um, they have definitely relaxed a lot of the regulations, including the flight regulations. Now you can now freely fly in and out. No longer need for a negative test um, as far as COVID. 
now and of course um, the masks have been uh, re removed from those mandates so now people can walk around freely without masks I'm sure the dermatologists were probably upset about that because these masks were causing all kinds of breakouts and rashes on people's faces and I'm sure they were you know getting a nice uptake in patients but that being said of course I jest uh, but that being said you know definitely there's a relaxed regulations regarding uh, COVID and COVID management we also have the new um, treatments on 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 deck, including um, Paxlovid, uh, which is uh, the pill that is recommended now for antiviral um, treatment of COVID after a new infection is diagnosed. And you can get this now over the counter without a prescription. And it's being reported to be very effective in um, reducing COVID severity. Of course, you know, we talked about this more in detail on the last, I think, a couple episodes back. So check the archives and listen to that and understand more about Paxlovid. But the point is, a lot of treatment options. We got vaccines now. Vaccine 2.0 just came out <laughs> last month. It's supposed to help fight this new variant that apparently was evading previous uh, vaccination um, formulations. So the reality is that, you know, there's a lot of weapons now against COVID and there's a belief that we should be able to handle any significant uptick in infections given the treatment options that we have. So with all these things kind of going on, it seems like people are more relaxed now. They're not too, um, you know, worried about getting sick like they were previously. And uh, people are hoping that with these new treatments, you know, they could really avoid a lot of the issues we've been seeing that we saw earlier on. People were really having real bad outcomes like strokes, heart attacks, you know, all that from COVID infection. So, so yeah, so COVID is definitely, um, you know, still on the topic of many people's uh, mouths, especially the government. And uh, it's something that is funny when... Your President Biden saying the pandemic is over. I think there's a real chance of significant uptick in patients during these winter months that are coming up. So we'll be interesting to see how this plays out. But um, anyways, this, that leads into the next actually um, topic. All right, guys. So the next topic is in regards to the medication ivermectin. Now, ivermectin was one of those medications that gained a lot of popularity during the COVID uh, pandemic, especially around 2020. Um, now, historically, ivermectin is a um, oral medication usually designed to treat uh, worms. So it's actually effective in killing worms, um, as well as these are like, when I say worms, meaning like worms that infest the human body. Um, tapeworms and other kind of worms that can infect inside your system. And they're really difficult to treat because worms have a lot of these same, you know, metabolic processes that humans have so you can't really get too crazy with medications because you could do a lot of damage to the body when you're treating these parasites so um, ivermectin is one of those medications that are very effective because they help reduce and prevent the reproduction of the worm and that actually can help cure those illnesses now many have been stating that ivermectin is effective antiviral agent as well and that was one of the big theories that were being proposed based on a lot of preliminary studies showing some effectiveness in ivermectin in treating many antiviral um, ailments now this actually was believed to also um, be an effective use for covid treatment this is actually during a time where we had really no medications um, on the books that were deemed effective for covid because the research simply hadn't been done yet COVID-19 was a new, uh, in fact, a new virus um, as of 2020 or 2019, I guess, officially. So there was definitely a lot of lack of research as far as treatments that were effective and whatnot. So ivermectin gained a lot of popularity 
um, due to some of the effectiveness seen in other viral infections that were similar to COVID that have existed prior to COVID-19. So that being said, ivermectin was something that was being pushed on, you know, by many different groups, many of them outside of um, the United States and the UK, uh, which kind of took a very skeptical approach toward ivermectin due to the lack of research and the feeling that, you know, a specific you know, study needed to prove without a doubt that it was effective before they could recommend it. Now, um, that being said, many of the local practitioners took matters into their own hands who believed in the drug and they actually use it in their private practices. You know, there's no official consensus, but there are many um, case studies that did show there was some potential benefit in using it in patients, um, you know, who were treated for COVID-19 and had, especially if they had some significant complications, because then wasn't there wasn't really a lot of medications that worked effectively at that time. So um, that being said, so ivermectin has been kind of a controversial medication. Um, I know personally, um, I you know was able to actually see people who did take it during an active infection, and they did report improved symptoms, and they did seem to do fairly well. Um, but again, the big research articles, big research studies that we really like to see just simply didn't exist for ivermectin use in COVID. Now that being said, um, during this whole period. It was almost became to a point where ivermectin was considered almost a sign of um, anti-science, if you will. Um, if you were to potentially suggest that this actually became a very controversial point during the Trump era when um, there was a famous, I think, athlete and I think Joe Rogan and another athlete, Aaron Rodgers from the Green Bay Packers, um, who used uh, this ivermectin treatment during an active infection and reported they did well. And they started to promote it, and this actually led to them being censored, especially Joe Rogan. He got a lot of flack for purporting this medication um, as an effective treatment for COVID, um, primarily because the powers that be, especially those at the uh, research and NIH and other different, you know, we would call them White Castle organizations, they uh, didn't really um, like that ivermectin being used because I guess they preferred a new medication that they could look at closer and. Uh, support. So that being said, I was personally of the belief that, you know, ivermectin is a medication, you know, if it works, we should at least allow it, um, you know, but of course, many people felt differently. That being said, so now we're two years later in this whole pandemic, and it does seem that there is now some research coming out showing that ivermectin, you know, is potentially a good option to use in patients who, you know, especially if you're at high risk of dying. Now, this research came out of Brazil. Um, there was a very um, large study done by a physician out in Brazil, uh, Dr. Flavio Cadigiani, um, MD, PhD. Um, this is, uh, you know, a lot of letters behind his name, so he's clearly someone who, who likes to read. So, <laughs> Anyways, he's an endocrinologist, and uh, he looked at some um, data as far as, you know, some treatment protocols. Now, in other countries, ivermectin was actually incorporated into many standard treatment plans for COVID. Um, not so much so in the United States, but um, in Brazil, there was a lot of research they could look at to look at people who receive ivermectin treatment um, and how they did afterwards. And this is, a, they had a study that looked at 88,000 people. So pretty significant amount of uh, research uh, data to get out of that. And what they found is that those who took ivermectin regularly uh, and this is more in a prophylactic setting as well as a acute infection. So early on in the treatment uh, uh, treatment process, 
they were taking it, especially if they had a loved one who lived near in their home who had COVID. Um, they um, were taking the medication to help reduce, I guess, the risk of them getting it. And they found that those who took the ivermectin regularly had a 92% reduction in COVID death risk compared to non-users. And um, they, this is also found that 84% less than irregular users. So those who took COVID, I mean, ivermectin regularly had almost a 92% reduction in COVID death risk. So the chance of dying was a lot lower, which is ultimately what it boiled down to because COVID was such a crazy infection. It just affected every organ. So anything was possible. People had heart attacks, strokes, kidney failure, liver failure. You know, we're going to talk about how some develop Alzheimer's, which is going to be the next topic here. So there's a lot of, you know, potential complications, but death would be the ultimate complication, obviously. So they use that as their a way to assess effectiveness. And, uh, you know, um, when it comes down to it, it helped reduce death. So I think that's something that gives it some credence. Now, of course, a lot of people who spoke out against the article, um, especially most of the uh, Western-based journal operations, stating that um, there was a lot of issues with the study itself, um, mainly because they just looked at um, data, you know, in a retrospective fashion. There was a lot of potential other issues that weren't being looked at. And they just, they kind of decided it was not the, the most uh, strongest uh, set of data. Now, that being said, um, the study and the authors are from Brazil, you know, and you know how, you know, if it's not a Western <laughs> organization, sometimes, you know, the research is automatically given a, a red flag, if you will. You know how that goes. That's, you know, that's the, the way the system goes. So ultimately, I think um, there's something that can be gleaned from the information because it's such a large study. 92,000 people, I mean, 88,000 people, a lot of people. So you can't ignore trends in that kind of a size group. And I think that, you know, definitely more research needs to be done. But I think at the same time, you know, those organizations that were really poo-pooing ivermectin as an option, I think need to kind of reassess the data. And, uh, you know, I think it should be more, you know, definitely more mainstream. And I think if it was used, we could have probably saved some lives. A lot of people died early in the, you know, the pandemic due to the ivermectin, you know, and I think ivermectin was, was blocked as a treatment option for many practitioners, uh, for well, many would argue political reasons. So ultimately, I think we need to focus on the science and avoid the political kind of slant to the research Unfortunately, even this article, I have to go to some, you know, someone considered right-wing um, um, sources. But that being said, I think the research is still the research, so the numbers and the data should be ultimately what matters mostly. All right, guys, so moving on from ivermectin, we're going to talk now about another topic I enjoy discussing, and that is cannabis. Now, what's going on here is that CBD, which is one of the cannabis cannabinoids that has been shown to potentially be an effective use in treating certain ailments, uh, there's new research showing that there potentially could be some benefit in discussing in how um, CBD could potentially be used in the treatment of heart attacks. Um, now, we know this, well, we, we've theorized in the past that because of the high levels of antioxidants, which again is extremely important in helping fighting the horrible condition known as inflammation. Now, we do, I'm going to do a whole show on inflammation specifically because I know we talk about a lot, but really breaking down how inflammation is really the center of disease essentially in your body. And anything that fights inflammation is essentially something that will potentially improve your lifespan. And antioxidants are key. Now, we can go into a long story. We're going to actually talk about that. It's going to be a future show antioxidants and inflammation and how that whole process works and why it's so important to get antioxidants into your diet. But CBD is something that is known to be very 
antioxidant rich, can help reduce some of the, the stress you get from inflammation when you are in that state. Now, now we do know heart attacks are actually a whole inflammatory cascade of inflammation causing damage to your heart, and that's how pretty much heart attacks occur. So the whole thing is that reducing inflammation in these stressful settings is a great treatment method to help reduce the severity of illness. And um, those recent um, uh, research presented in Mexico, actually by a local physician there who was looking at kind of preclinical data of folks who were just being treated kind of a case by case basis, people who were actually given CBD during settings of heart attack. Um, and they were pretty, they were finding some pretty Im impressive um, you know, information. And what they found is that people who actually had like, um, you know, heart attacks and, uh, that were being treated with um, CBD as part of the protocol. So in addition to the aspirin and the different uh, anticoagulants and other treatments they give for patients who are in active, you know, heart attacks, they actually also gave them CBD. And what they found in this small kind of, now I think they don't actually release the numbers of the people that were looked at. So it was a, we assume a very small amount. So again, there's not something you can really hang your hat on, but at the same time, when you have, you know, educated, smart people looking at, you know, things in an objective manner, you can't ignore, you know, some of the potential, um, you know, findings that are being seen. And I do think that it's uh, critical that, you know, this obviously should lead to more wider numbers and bigger studies. But ultimately, what they found was that people who had um, received CBD during their heart attack setting also um were basically had reduced size of damage on their heart. They had actually what we call um, when, when your heart, when you have a heart attack, the, basically the muscle in your heart gets cut off from the blood supply. When that happens, the tissue that receives the blood dies. This is what also then causes inflammation, which kind of essentially progresses the heart damage. That's why a massive heart attack, if there's a big chunk of your heart gets taken out, that chunk of your heart will release inflammatory um, you know, hormones that will then you know, essentially screw up the entire heart's, uh, you know, metabolic kind of processes resulting in just complete dysfunction. That's where your heart starts going to funky your rhythms and you go into cardiac arrest. So ultimately, reducing inflammation is critical, even during an active heart attack. This is actually how we manage heart attacks when we see them in the emergency room setting. And of course, cardiologists do, you know, a lot of the heavy lifting as far as restoring that, that flow and allowing people to start to function normally. So ultimately, they found that CBD helped reduce inflammation during this whole process of the heart attack, which helped reduce the infarct size. So there was a smaller portion of the heart that was damaged after the incident was, was over with. And um, it, it's just, just uh, I think, very interesting how um, CBD can potentially help reduce some of these complications as well as damage we're seeing in heart attacks. And ultimately, um, I think obviously very uh, big deal if this can be officially looked at and have an official paper uh, written up and uh, research can be done. Now, that being said, this is also a reason why, you know, people have been advocating for the removal of cannabis as a Schedule 1 drug. Now, um, you know, the federal government currently lists cannabis as a Schedule 1 drug, which is on the same level as cocaine, methamphetamines, you know, LSD, different drugs that have known to have this, I think, overwhelmingly negative side effects and side and and you know side and, you know very deadly side effects. So they're banned for good reason. But cannabis, in my opinion, is something that has been shown to be relatively safe and ultimately can be effective in certain ailments. Now it's not completely perfect. There are a lot of issues with cannabis that I think you know need to be addressed, uh, especially keeping it away from minors is critical. Um, but ultimately, I think in a medical setting there have been you know more and more um, 
findings showing that cannabis can potentially be effective and especially CBD in the setting of certain medical conditions and in this um, st not study but in this cl clinical statement um, is showing that potential use in a heart attack setting um, may be something that needs to be explored so interesting study there or not in this case more of a observation and I think that can you know, I think it's more of a call to um, the need for more research and I think removing that the level one or schedule one designation for cannabis will help researchers have confidence to start doing these studies and answer some of these questions you know if it's all BS which some people would argue then I think you know the way we solve those questions is by doing the research and seeing how the data shows that's what it's about the end of the day all right so it goes to the next uh, study we should talk about or at least I would like to talk about is a new weight loss uh, medication this is relatively new we talked about this previously but weight loss obviously is a big thing in the health and wellness community. People are trying to lose weight and get to that, um, you know, physique that they're, uh, been, I guess, trying to aspire to. But obviously, obesity is a big deal, and a lot of people are, are suffering from over, being overweight and having issues controlling appetite and so forth. So there was a relatively new uh, medication on the market known as Wegovy. Um and this medication is essentially the opposite of insulin. Now, if you recall on an older episode we talked about insulin and why it's pretty much the biggest issue when it comes to weight gain insulin resistance is what affects the body's metabolic processes and typically results in increased weight when insulin levels are up your body is altered in such a way that it promotes you gaining mass um, this is kind of why a lot of diabetics um, who are taking insulin sometimes start to gain weight just based on insulin use and whatnot and also you know insulin resistance is something we see in patients who are overweight because you know when you have high levels of insulin you know your body actually then has to make itself more resistant so that it's not constantly increasing due to insulin presence and that ultimately causes potential conditions like diabetes and it's a very complex metabolic process but ultimately in a nutshell insulin level is high chance of obesity is high so there's a, now a theory that was proposed that if we can give the anti-insulin, which is the opposite hormone for insulin, which is known as glucagon, and that actually helps promote, you know, things like appetite suppression. It helps actually promote the breakdown of, of sugars and can help, you know, reduce your overall levels of certain hormones that can promote weight gain. People have been using this and it's been actually helping people lose weight. Um... There's now some belief that with this new uh, treatment for weight, um, for obesity called, called Wegovy, using it in a setting of someone who's overweight, who's trying to gain, lose weight, can actually help prevent type 2 diabetes. So, you know, as we stated, insulin resistance is a big issue with diabetes. If this drug can reduce those levels of insulin and help make the body more sensitive to insulin, that can actually help promote, you know, metabolic processes that will help the body lose weight. So ultimately, Wegovy is something that has really been revolutionizing weight loss, at least as of recent. Now, it is a fairly new medication, so side effects and long-term effects are still unknown. But someone who's trying to lose weight, I think, is an option that they should consider if they're you know, interested in trying different methods, especially when it comes to you know, medications that can help them gain or get to some of their goals. Now, if you're someone who's interested in potentially getting a Wegovy uh, I would say consultation actually reach out to us at the health and wellness connection or I should say our go to our website at the um, www.healthiswellness.com 
um, and give them a conversation. Or if you have a clinician you're seeing as well, you can definitely make an appointment and have them talk to you about it because I think it's something that has been showing fairly um, great results when it comes to weight loss and helping people lose weight. In addition to weight loss, good exercise and diet, um, it's been shown to really help um, people achieve some of their weight loss goals as well as now prevent type 2 diabetes. So it, I think diabetes is one of those conditions that are very um, just devastating to the body and it's a long-term issue that really never goes away. So I think preventing diabetes is the best option as opposed to treating it. You can avoid diabetes from the get-go. You're actually doing better as opposed to trying to fight diabetes once you've already been diagnosed. Then the damage has already been done and it's going to be harder to get a handle of it in my opinion. But So yeah, so Wegovy, uh, potentially an effective treatment for preventing diabetes. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Alright guys, so now another interesting study that came across my desk was a new study that's linking Alzheimer's disease to COVID-19. Now, for people who don't know what Alzheimer's is, Alzheimer's is a chronic neurological condition that actually causes you to quote-unquote lose your mind, if you will. And obviously, no offense to the Alzheimer's uh, folks out there, but you'll probably forget what I just said. Clinical joke. Either way, Alzheimer's is something that is usually associated with a condition known as dementia, where you're unable to really uh, process um, thoughts as far as creating new memories. So you're just kind of only regurgitating things that have existed when you're older or more significant events that you, you know, under, that you were experienced when you were younger, and new events and memories are harder to establish in your brain. And people who develop Alzheimer's, it becomes a very devastating illness because they require constant care because they're unable to kind of function in a uh, environment due to their inability to understand what's going on and process information in the present. So it's, n it's not fun at all. And clearly there's been a lot of confusion as far as what causes Alzheimer's. There's some theories out there, but it's not really clear as far as the exact culprit, but there's a lot of potential, um, belief that inflammation is also affiliated or cause one of the causative issues that can result in Alzheimer's. And of course, inflammation is something we always talk about. But now with COVID, which is one of those conditions that really causes super inflammation boom in your body, uh, we're seeing now that people who develop COVID have a significantly increased risk of new onset Alzheimer's. This is what a new study is showing, guys. So this is when they say COVID is just a flu, you got to look at them and say, you sure? Because uh, there's a lot of stuff going on with COVID that is not even really clear yet. And ultimately, you really don't want to get it. So that's why I tell people, you know, even though, yes, we have treatments for COVID, but getting repeated infections from COVID-19, there's so many chronic illnesses that we're seeing now from, we talk about erectile dysfunction. So all, all the men out there who claim that COVID is nothing, you know, when, <laughs> when you get ED behind COVID, you're not going to be very happy. Like, trust me that on that. But um, now we're seeing Alzheimer's disease is something that they are potentially associated with COVID. There's people who got COVID recovered without much issue, but over time, now we're seeing new cases of Alzheimer's pop up in populations that really weren't um, something that we saw with so much frequency. Now, there's a recent study that was done. Um, now, this occurred. Now, this was done by a big brain, a physician out at Case Western. Her name is Pamela Davis, MD, PhD, uh, professor there at uh, that university. I mean, well, School of Medicine, actually. And they looked at COVID-19, um, basically a database of folks who were being treated for COVID-19. Um, and they looked at kind of, um, you know, 
basically helped. Just look at the. Straight. They essentially looked at a huge database of electronic health records, 6.2 million people. So this is why sometimes when you have these studies, they just look at data. When they get these massive amounts of data pools, you can, you know, you can definitely infer some things. You can't infer everything because they're not actually doing the research as far as getting the people and monitoring them as they progress. They're actually looking retroactive actively, so they're getting outcomes and they're looking at what happened previously that they didn't obviously didn't control, but they can still look at trends. So what they did was look at 6.2 million adults, 65 years or older, who received the medical treatment for COVID between February 2020 and May 2021, right? So a year period, these people who are 65 years and older, and they got treatment for COVID. No previous diagnosis of Alzheimer's before the treatment. But then they found that during this period, they found that there was almost an 80% increase in new diagnosis for Alzheimer's in this group. And this is especially risking those who are 85 years and older. So 65 and up was the total group they looked at. Out of 6.2 million people, they found that there was almost an 80% higher chance of a new case of Alzheimer's in this population as far as all those who had um, you know, been uh, treated for COVID-19. So pretty significant when you know it's almost doubling your risk of alzheimer's because you caught covid especially if you're older so you know and it's really alarming because alzheimer's is one of those treatments that there's really no treatment for i mean there's no like cure for it so once you have alzheimer's you're pretty much stuck with it until you pass so it's something that you know could be very kind of you know deleterious if people are unable to take care of themselves they become essentially you know people that you know the state has to kind of find a way to help them manage so that they can at least you know function and so these kind of huge jumps in these conditions that really we don't have effective treatment for is quite alarming and we know this because um, you know with covid and it's the way it causes severe inflammation about the body um, it's believed that you know things like this will be something we're going to be seeing more and more of this is the reason why, you know, people say COVID is fake, COVID is fake. The reality is that COVID is real and is actually causing so much issues that it's going to be hard for even the country to figure out ways to prevent it from, you know, permanently changing our way of life. Um, so hopefully, you know, we get some more information as far as you know, how this is developing. And hopefully with the new treatments now that are available to help reduce some of these COVID, you know, infections, as far as the severity of the infections, we'll start to see a reduction in these uh, potential complications like Alzheimer's and other things that we're seeing. And remember, when COVID initially hit, it was everyone was getting just severe infections due to the, this, the newness of the virus and how essentially there was no immunity to it. So now the body is, you know, biology is like a, is a fluid state. You know, COVID is mutating. Meanwhile, our immune systems are also adjusting and adapting. So there's a kind of a play here. This is how biology is, why it's not, it's something that's, I think it's beautiful personally, but it's a there's a relationship between all organisms, and this is how they exist. So it's a kind of not necessarily yin and yang, but there's like a give and take. So, you know, even though you think that is something that would, you know, do it actually did devastate the population. Let's be honest, it devastated the population. But it's not going to be something that, you know, in my opinion, that the human immune system won't be able to figure out and also combat. Now, ideally, you know, we want to give treatments that will help aid the body's ability to fight off these infections like COVID. But in the meantime, you know, there's going to be some things that happen that we're going to try to hopefully prevent, including 
really severe side effects like Alzheimer's, strokes, heart attacks, and other things we're, we were seeing with these real bad COVID infections. So that being said, you know, COVID is linked to Alzheimer's, so guys, be careful. And if you have Alzheimer's, especially if you have some older loved ones who are potentially at risk, make sure they're doing their best to help you know, reduce their risk, including getting vaccinations. For the elderly, I think it's really important they do get vaccines because COVID is just everywhere now. And these vaccines have shown up some help in reducing the risk of these complications in the elderly, especially. All right, guys. And uh, so the last study, I'll say the best for last, and that is the, the latest TikTok trend designed to kill people. And that is cooking chicken in NyQuil. Now, I don't even understand it. Like, has... Has, you know, <laughs> has oil and, and butter, you know, is that considered now stuff for boomers now? Or what? What's going on here? Why are we co- cooking, you know, NyQuil, food in NyQuil? First it was a Tide Pod, which I was like, what's going on here? Now we have people cooking chicken in NyQuil. I mean, I don't know who to blame for this, but it's really, really terrible, terrible trends that we're seeing these days. They're calling it the Sleepy Chicken Challenge. Um, so they're trying to tell people to cook chicken in NyQuil or some sort of over-the-counter cough and cold medication. Um, and as apparently it's supposed to make it, I don't know what the point is. I thought most of the kids, it's better to just take fake perks. And it sounds terrible, but <laughs> no, actually don't take fake perks. It's very deadly, very stupid, actually. But ultimately, this is not smart, guys. You know, first off, let me tell you what actually will take most people out here doing this foolishness. And that's Tylenol. Tylenol is one of the most deadliest medications you can put in your body. And I say that because... Tylenol doesn't take much to really shut down organs like your liver, which is really your main detoxifying organ. That's what helps clean your blood, get all the poisons out that you're eating and all the you know, the hot Cheetos, everything else you're putting in your body. The liver is what's working to fight to remove all the toxins, all that <laughs> color agents and forever chemicals, even though those don't come out. And that's what we talk about too. But the liver is your detoxifying organ. So when you're eating that BS, you know, you go to the local whatever, and you buy you a, a, a you know, a deep fried this. You know, I do, I like fried foods. I'm not uh, fried food, but y'all know what I'm talking about. We can talk about the nutrition later. But ultimately, the liver detoxifies a lot of those horrible agents. Now, if you consume something like, you know, this sleepy chicken, let's say your friends say, hey, let's try some sleepy chicken. So get the NyQuil, dump it in there. Ultimately, you could very easily die from Tylenol overdose because Tylenol is one of the big ingredients in a lot of these medications, especially these sleep medications. They have Tylenol in them, which only four grams can literally overdose and destroy your liver, causing you to essentially die because you lose your liver. Mm-hmm. So this is really serious, guys. I mean, pouring a whole bottle of Tylenol, I mean, a NyQuil into a pan to cook whatever, trying to be funny, I guess, to get the likes and, and, and <laughs> retweets or whatever the hell. It's not worth your life. I mean, especially if someone's retweeting your, your death because of this silly challenge. It's going to look kind of silly going out behind some sleepy chicken. So um, it's just a kind of, I think, another case of, you know, people trying to harm folks. And this is why I'm a big proponent of keeping social media away from children. Um, people really need to understand social media is just a public platform. Any idiot can post anything and go viral. doesn't mean that it was worth a damn and just because it's going viral doesn't mean it's actually something that's true legit or worth your time so you've got to be careful you know there are some people who i think mean others harm some people will enjoy the concept of them putting out some challenge and if someone gets killed behind it they'll probably figure it they think they'll probably feel good about it that's the sad reality so let's not let um you know silly tiktok trends cause us to do things that are potentially dangerous and it will kill each kill ourselves behind for the for, you know for the gram or for the for the talk I don't know what the slang is for TikTok now but 
you know, just very disturbing. So I just wanted to make sure I speak out against this uh, sleepy chicken challenge nonsense. Um, do not do this, guys. Just go and get your chicken fried and greased like everyone else, you know. I think there's a new <laughs> the new chicken sandwich. But of course, Chick-fil-A, I'm a fan of, even though they're not, they're also not without controversy. But ultimately, you know, avoid this like the plague. Um, it can definitely be a very dangerous situation if you do decide to try some sleepy chicken. And I don't want to see in the ER talking about I have sleepy chicken now. You know, I'm a, uh, you know, I'm, I'm basically, I'm, you know, stop, you know, shut down. The organs are shutting down now because of this challenge. So stay safe, guys. All right, guys. So that is the end of the show. It's your host, Dr. Brad. Thank you so much for, you know, sticking with us and, you know, checking out what we have to offer. Please, guys, also don't forget to share and, uh, you know, let people know about the show, you know, what the word is. This is we're a podcast, so just share it in your, your various, uh, you know, phones when I know most of y'all listen to it on the phone so you know text your friends whatsapp all that you know appreciate the support something we knew we do um, likes we can grow um, also if you want to reach out to us on the show new topics you want us to discuss um, check us out or send us an email drberryhealth at gmail.com drberryhealth at gmail.com that's b as in boy a r r y health dr dr b a r r y h e a l t h um, at gmail.com. So we are out and uh, check us out next week. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Health and Wellness Connection podcast and radio show. For more information on ways to get healthy, please check us out www.anchor.fm forward slash HW Connection. Here you can re listen to the show, check out older shows, and even further support the show by becoming a subscriber to the podcast. Please check us out today. Again, that's anchor.fm forward slash HW Connection. And also, don't forget to follow Dr. Barry on Instagram at DR. Barry MD. Until next time, stay healthy.